Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the American Scouser podcast. Uh, it's good to be back. We're coming towards the end of the international break here, recording this on March 29th. And today with me, we have all kinds of international flavors here. Uh, so captain of the Peacock National Team over here, Paul Bickler is with us. Paul, what's <laughs> happening? Hell of an introduction to you, <laughs> and the uh, captain of the Irish national team is here with us, Jamie. I'm keeping a low profile. Northern Ireland got beat by uh, USA. So, yeah, absolutely. I'm here. <laughs> yeah, I kind of figured this out. I've had a great international week. I rarely say this as somebody from Turkey, uh, but I'm your host, Timuchin, uh, as always. And uh, happy week. Happy week. But uh, let's start with international stuff, actually. But before we even get to that, let's cover our boys first. Uh, get the LFC news in 60 seconds from Jamie. Jamie, bring us up to date in 60 seconds or less. Here you go. And so- you, you guessed it, Timuchin. It's the international break. So we got a lot of lads uh, for Liverpool making appearances. Um, Tiago, Robbo, Jones in the under-21s, Jeannie, Kabak, Mako, Sadio, Liam Miller, Morgan Boyce, Tamikas, Kaita, and Harry Wilson all making appearances. And we had a couple of goals as well. Always nice to see the, the guys in amongst the goals. Jota getting two, and Salah getting two as well, and Shakiri as well getting himself a goal. So that's all good news on the international front. Um, Salah was named Player of the Month for Liverpool for February, which is also great news. I mean, good good. we've got one player in form right now. Um, good to see Bobby was back in training as well. And during this international break period, we've had... Um, news from the Premier League of the 21-22 season. So it's going to begin August 14th and it's going to end on the 22nd of May 2022. So lots to look forward, folks. Get those days booked off nice and early. It has been an interesting week. And that's what I wanted to kind of like start talking to you guys first because I realized as I was watching games, kind of like reflecting back and how I viewed the international games has really changed over the years and we're all different backgrounds we got an american dude we got an irish dude we got a turkish dude uh so i'm almost assuming like we're going to be totally different when it comes to that as well so paul let's start with you uh like how do you view the international break uh and more importantly like i guess has it changed how you view like over the let's say let's 10 years 15 years um how i view international breaks now are that they are a chance for our best players to get injured and that generally we play like shite the first week we're back. Um, yeah, I think this is interesting, man. I think, I think it has to do a hundred percent with how invested you are in your own national team. And, uh, I think for me, like I'm, I'm so, I, I'm, I don't want to seem like against the whole Sam's army thing, but I just like, I don't have a ton of like national pride in our, our American side. I don't really like, it's not something that I'm drawn to or invested emotionally in. And I think that a lot of that just has to do with my personal experience. Um, I came up in the ODP state team for Michigan. um, And I really viewed the way that we develop players in this country at that time. And and I got to like, I don't want to date myself, but this is 20 years ago. So I know that a lot's changed when I was coming up through the Olympic development program, there was no academies, right? There were no like MLS teams that had academies that you could go straight into. This is how we developed our most, like our our most promising players. They went ODP and then you went to NCAA. Um, And so for me, um, 
like my experience is completely jaded by that because what I saw was is a, a lot of internal politics where kids that shouldn't have been playing over other kids were playing because of who their parents were um, or what the their income was. And so the ODP team and how we develop kids in this country was a direct result of just basically capitalism at play. Like it was a money-making uh, play for the Olympic committee and the Olympic programs. Um, and that was really, I mean, that turned me off largely to, to, to the way that, you know, to, to the national team in general. And, you know, I always thought that we had, um, you know, 15 legs down against any other developed country, um, even undeveloped countries, because um, our kids at a very young age, were not going, they weren't like our best kids are not going into academies where they have board pay for um, it's an expensive sport in the States. And then the NCAA, if you get to that level, the NCAA caps your hours. Um, your hours are capped by so the rules of amateurism just essentially handcuff our best players. Now, now there's academies you can go overseas and and, and that helps, right? Um, but for me, I think it's too little, too late, and I would have loved to see more of an academy push um, at the local level here nationally um, for us. But like, I just have a hard time getting behind it. And then even now, when I try to get invested in it, it seems like I don't understand the selections, like. To me, our best players still aren't being selected at a national level, even though there are academies, even though we do have the MLS, even though we do have players abroad that are killing it. Uh, I still don't understand the selection process. And I don't know if that's just down to us not having the right managers. At this point, I've been out of the game so long, I'm probably not the best person to even speak on it. Um, but yeah, it's really, really hard for me um, over the international breaks to be invested. And I know I just probably turned this pod into an hour and a half, so I'm sorry. <laughs> I think you touch on some great points there, though, to be fair. Like, I mean, that's that's the average American take on it, I would say. And, you know, it to maybe bring it up, uh, modernize it a little bit, you know, you kind of see a different problem evolving a few years ago, you know, sort of when Klinsmann was around. Um, a lot of a lot of German-based players, like a lot of players going over to Germany to, to succeed, so... I can certainly see your point of view. Don't don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah, I think we can have a probably like an off-season podcast just on that topic because, I mean, I've had my girls in uh, obviously like travel soccer and stuff all this time, like dealing with different clubs, the the politics that you speak of and, you know, the the path to how they can rise and stuff like that. Uh, but, yeah, that's, that's like an odd take because uh, like that's – it's an odd take in the sense that that's why you're not into it. It's not just necessarily like a club over a country kind of thing. So that's kind of like an intro. That's why I figured like all three of us are probably going to have a totally different perspective on this. So, so Irish guy, uh, <laughs> how do you view the national team or these national breaks? Uh, like I guess my thing is I've noticed in myself a huge change over the years. And I just don't know like if it's the same for you guys as well. I mean, I, it is, um, you know, not to mention all the other stuff that comes with being sort of an Irish football fan, if you know what I mean. Like, because there, there's all sorts of political problems and blah, blah, blah that, you know, really, I couldn't care less about. Like, you know, it, it's it's about it's about football. It's a I, I get that. But, you know, internationals, the international break itself, you, you always kind of look out for who from the Liverpool squad is going to play. And of course, now with COVID, you're like, oh, Christ, who, who is, who's, who's staying at home? Because it has whole new permutations right now with COVID. Um, you know, I've I seen people talking about um, home fans of Salah and Mane 
just absolutely swarming them after the game. Like, and you know, six foot distance and social distance, all that stuff is still in play. Um, and they're just mobbed by a bunch of fans, which, you know, I can't, I can't blame them. I would probably be doing the same, but you know, these players are checked and tested and given the, the vaccines and whatnot all the time. Um, the fans, maybe not so much. So there's a whole lot to worry about, a whole lot to be concerned about. But, you know, I always take care to, to see who's going out, um, under 21s as well. And yeah, more often than not, keep an eye on the English guys because it used to be always that the English guys would would get injured away on England duty and it would just really um, be a constant thorn in my side. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, like you said, it, it can it, it's definitely an off-season topic where we could just sit and, and, and discuss the entireties of it all because, like Paul said, we could be sitting here for another hour and a half talking about bloody Irish football and grassroots football, <laughs> nation to nation. It, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bloody minefield, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I find myself, I mean, I don't know. I, obviously, I'm from Turkey. Uh, I grew up and I was born into Fenerbahce, I mean, if you read my bio on the page, which, you know, I'm sure people would love to read Paul Bickler's and Jamie's bios too, but they haven't made the site yet. I'm sure it's in the works. <laughs> I figured I'd get that in there. But anyway, if you read my bio, which is on the website, uh, you'll see that, uh, you know, my keep grandfather digging, was- Keep digging to Muchin. You'll get the China. <laughs> I submitted mine like four times. I don't know why it doesn't get approved. <laughs> uh, you guys asked for that one. Okay, so <laughs> like my grandfather was one of like the best players of Fenerba- in Fenerbahce history. Uh, so I was kind of like born into the club. Uh, I mean, I don't think you could be supporting a different club in my household. You would not be living in that house. Uh, so, but growing up, I mean, especially back in those days, we're talking like eighties and stuff, Turkish teams were not successful. And I remember at the time, like when clubs played, which seems like really obnoxious now when I look back, but we would always look down. That's when the Italian teams were really doing well. And I remember like thinking, you know, like you would hear like AC Milan fans, rooting against Inter Milan when they were going to, you know, back in the day, it was the UFA Cup, Cup Winners Cup and shit like that. And we were like, man, that's like so wrong because back home, if it was a Turkish team, you rooted for them because they were Turkish. And yeah. to be fair, at the time, we had limits. You couldn't have more than three foreign players anyway. So, like, they were actually Turkish. Like, they were, like, you know, the play, dudes playing were Turkish. But at the time, so, like, you know, it had that feel to it growing up and you rooted for it. But over time that kind of brings a lot of politics into it in terms of who the coach is. I mean, I've had times where I have found the national team not as likable uh, because then you start, as the Turkish team started to make have some success, you started having those same animosities I talk about with the Italian teams, kind of like how we have. We basically root against, you know, United City, whoever they're playing, we're rooting for them. So that kind of became the norm in Turkey, too. And man, I'm going to make this podcast two hours now. But um, <laughs> so over time, I think, you know, like that kind of like would start bugging you the wrong way because there will be like five guys from Galatasaray or how come my, you know, the Fenerbahce guy is not in there and stuff. I'm not as much thinking of injuries and things. But recently, you know, as the team has done, I think the Turkish soccer has improved so much. All these guys, I mean, the team that played against Netherlands, uh, that, you know, Kabak actually played and played really well. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then against Norway, I mean, I think only two or three out of the first 11 actually plays in Turkey. Right. Premier League, they're in Germany, they're in France, you know. So I feel more like, yeah, we are. I mean, 
complete opposite of a poll saying I, I feel more like now we are actually getting the best player in that position as opposed to getting a guy from Fenerbahce or Galatasaray because the coach used to be a player for that club and all that kind of bullshit like that. So, and maybe it's because now, for example, I understand the club over country thing that I know Jamie always talks about. And the moment I mentioned that, hey, we, let's talk about the international games. That's the first thing you said. You yeah. said club over country. I understand more now because when I didn't see Kabak in the Norway game, I was like, actually, that's good because <laughs> yeah. we don't want him injured as a center back. <laughs> but I feel like it's just a kind of like an odd thing to have like changed over the years that now you're watching for players' health and injuries and stuff a lot more. Whereas in the past, I found myself not caring about that at all because it was more about the success of the national teams, kind of like an odd dynamic. So does the success level of the team affect how much you're invested, Paul? Like, because they've been kind of miserable, does that kind of put you away a bit more? No, or is it just me, the background? That's because I, not for me, but that's because I'm American. Like, if I was German or Brazilian, I'd feel differently. Like, like back when we were a mid-table team, I still cared just as much about our, our players on international break as I did, like, last year when we were winning everything. Because – my level of interest in American, the American national team was the same, right? Like I'll watch them if they're on, right? But like, like I'm not in, like we didn't qualify, right? We lost to Honduras the other night. Like I wasn't in tears. Like I kind of just shrugged my shoulder and was like, that makes sense. We're not actually playing strikers. Like, you know what I mean? Like we don't like, I, I, I guess my level of frustration with the, the American national team has been so high for so long in terms of how we, field that team and our inability to really like grow a core like it just like I'm just checked out on it but like like you know say Liverpool was like a mid table table team or we were really struggling and the U.S. national team uh, was like towards the top and in and had a like you know they're like say they're like Turkey where we were like all of our best American players were coming from all these different leagues and in and we had this really young exciting core of talent coming up then i would feel differently entirely does that affect you at all jamie like how the team is doing if they have a shot or anything or is it just you know i mean i'm irish i'm I'm irish mate we never have a shot but (laughs) (laughs) um it's a good it's a good question when we have a good squad like when robbie Keane was playing like i i was invested in the irish team um like I, I, I don't like to get into the, the whole politics of North versus South Ireland. It's a very hot topic. It has been for a thousand bloody years. Um, but, you know, I, I, I have been a, a supporter of the Republic of Ireland. That would be my team. But I, I, I don't know. It's, it's difficult to pinpoint how my love of club over country has, has, has waned over the years. It, it's, it really is difficult. Like I, I do have very fond memories of wearing my Ireland shirt, watching games with a bunch of Irish lads. Like, and you know, maybe it's because I'm away from my home country for so long, and maybe it's because I'm not around that. That that that's a possibility as well. But I guess I'd have to admit that having a better squad would kind of entice me back a little bit. And I mean. Yeah, I mean, I'd say that's fair to say. I think that's a good point, actually. I mean, obviously, it doesn't apply to Paul over here, but being away from the country is kind of like 
almost a factor. I almost, when they beat Netherlands, and this is vintage Turkey, by the way, we beat Netherlands, we beat Norway, the top, the, the teams that were expected to be one and two in the group. I think they play Latvia and watch them struggle against that team. But, you know, that's vintage Turkish soccer for you. But um, I think when I was like reading like, you know, like Turkish sites and stuff like that, you kind of understand the importance of it a lot more. I mean, Jamie, you can relate to this more because, you know, the whole country kind of like waits for that game, lives for that game because soccer is so big. Whereas over here, it's just, you know, like a not as much the community we're in due to Liverpool and obviously, you know, people who love the sport are into it, but other people you come across at work or whatever could not care less. They don't even know the score. They all know about like a regular season NBA game score, but might not know that, you know, us lost to Honduras and stuff like that, for example. So it does make a difference. I think how far away you are because grasping the importance of it. When I was looking stuff, they were literally like on my feed was kind of like people anticipating the Norway game. Like yeah. Nervous about it and stuff like, <laughs> like us. We would be before like an important league game, you know, for like Liverpool and stuff. And that was just kind of like, oh, I remember that. It's pretty hardcore. Yeah. I mean, I like I remember vividly watching games against uh, we, we, Ireland had a couple of games against Holland where where we won and went through to the qualifiers. Um, and they were huge games, you know what I mean? Like, I, there's an old Jason McAteer one from, like, early 2000s. Then there was another one, Matty Holland scored. Like, I, I have vivid memories of being an Irish fan. And, and like, probably the first one was um, Italia 90 and, and USA 94. Like, I have vivid memories of being a young pup on my dad's knee, you know. And my dad would take me to the bar and we'd watch the, the Ireland games together, like, and I watched Diana Ross take that horrible penalty at the opening ceremony of uh, USA night before. You know, I I have vivid memories of those times. Um, and then I don't know. It it might be a little bit unfair of me to say this, but Roy Keane kind of fucked the Republic of Ireland for me a little bit when he when he kind of walked away from Ireland. And I I have my own issues with Roy Keane, especially in a in a Ireland shirt. I always thought he never put in the effort that he that you used to see him put in for Man United. And obviously Man United are a different kettle of fish than the Republic of Ireland team. But um, yeah, Roy Keane definitely left a sour taste in my mouth with, with the Republic of Ireland. Um, and not to mention Thierry Henry. Thierry Henry definitely left a, a sour taste in my mouth with the Republic of Ireland when he cheated with the handball. <laughs> I didn't mean to like that shot, like really old wounds <laughs> like, on those scabs. <laughs> but that's that's what it is. That's what it is. That's what that that's what it is. Being a, a Republic of Ireland fan, all these wounds are and all these memories are intertwined. Like USA '94, we done really well, you know. Like Paul McGrath and and you know legends of the game and 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 Jack Charlton, you know, um, just brilliant, brilliant manager. But um, yeah, on the Thierry Henry thing, just while we're talking about internationals, apparently he was on the Robbie Fowler podcast and. Uh, explained why he done it and all death threats and all the rest. So any of the Irish listeners out there, uh, go and give Robbie Fowler's podcast a listen while you're at it. If, if you're still like me, suffering wounds from Thierry Henry. <laughs> yeah, we got to get, I mean, I think for us, especially we're always, I mean, all three of us are always, you know, like the underdog national team. We got to get like a guest that's Brazilian or Germany and stuff. So they can kind of give us a perspective <laughs> of being a favorite in these tournaments. and how. Well, hold on. The, the USA women are, are world champions are record number oh, yeah. of times, aren't they? You know, so fair play to them. But um, the women's team seems to have 
have that in them from the start. You know, that the, the, like Paul was kind of saying, the USA men's team has kind of been languishing for a while. Yeah, and like Paul says, there's like a lot of drama and stuff like that too. But I just, like I said, I kind of like found it interesting as I was thinking about it. So I wanted to guys get your perspective. So the international players and all these people are traveling around to the international games is part of our trivia this week. So here's your guys' question. In the Premier League, how many team, how many countries have the most players? We're talking non-English. Ooh. Give me the top three countries that have players in the Premier League. And I'll have a tiebreaker as a bonus, actually, which should be interesting. This is okay. so let's start with that. Uh, which countries have the most, the three top players? I mean, the three top countries in terms of number of players. Paul, we always start this with you, buddy boy. So it comes to you. No Googling. <laughs> Hold on. Let me get a bevy for this one. You know what? I've got my three a fresh can for this. I think <laughs> I've, I've got my three written out, Paul. Do you want me to go first? Go ahead. Go ahead. In no particular order. I'll, I'll have to come back to that in a second. France, Spain, Brazil. I've went for it. I've went big on this one. France, Spain and Brazil. Why not? We'll keep it like that. Um, okay. France first, Spain second, Brazil third. That's strong. I like it. I'm not going to go with Brazil and I'll tell you why. Visa issues for Brazilians. Um, that's why I'm not going to go Brazil. Uh, they get a lot of top-level players, but on the whole, in the UK, getting a Brazilian, it can be tricky. I'm going to go... I'm going to go Netherlands. I'm going to go France. Um, I like the Spain shout. I'm going to go Portugal because the Wolves are in, in Premier League. <laughs> there's like, yeah, there's 20 guys right there. <laughs> the Portuguese national team. Yeah, that's true. I just thought Brazil as, a, as an outside chance because there's so bloody many of them. You think about it, it's like um, uh, Joe Linton, um, yeah. Felipe Anderson. There's loads of them. There but, are um, but they may not be um, international squad players. But anyway, I, I, I figured I'd take a stab in the dark. That's good. I'm glad you, I'm glad you went first. It allowed me to like have to do the Timuchin thing where I get to think about it. <laughs> and then come in and be a hero at the end. Hey, I'm always the hero, buddy. Um, okay, so let, let me let's start that because I'm going to I want to kind of like get your guys answer on the second one. So the top is Spain. Uh, with 27 Ooh. players in the Premier League. Okay. Uh, the second is France. Ah. And actually, actually, they're tied. They're 27. Oh, okay. Jimmy, did you not have France in yours? I thought you did. I, I had oh, France he first. It, he got it. He I had, had France. three, actually. And then Brazil is no way! third with 25. No way! <laughs> I got one right, ladies and gentlemen. That's because I'm not playing, man. <laughs> <laughs> no way. I can't believe like that. That was a complete. I, I didn't cheat. That was a complete guess. I've actually got it right. I'm signing off. <laughs> and then it goes Ireland 19, Scotland 19, Portugal 18, Netherlands 16. Um, and then obviously it like trickles down. Wow. That's, those are small margins. Yeah. yeah that's right? amazing. So here's the second question. Who this is where is- it all goes to shit. Top valued player out of these three countries, Spain, France, Brazil, like their market value. Well, France is easy, right? It's Mbappe. 
no, no, no. But, in the Premier League. In the Prem. Oh, in the ne- Premier League. Next season, Paul. Next season. Yeah, right. Mbappe. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> These are like basically French players playing in the Premier League. Who would you say is the most valuable? Oh, geez. Um, Market value. I thought actually this was the easier one. Is it Pogba? Mm, well, dude, what? Yeah, so we're starting with France, right? You got Pogba. I think that's the easy one. Let's get that out of the way, but I didn't realize. Yeah. I, so... I don't think it's easy. I mean, you got Pogba, you got Laporte, who's probably got to be up there. Um, that's a good shot, actually. It is Pogba, though. I'll, oh, okay. I'll right. save you the struggle. It is Pogba. All right. Okay. Why don't we just let Jamie do this? I mean, <laughs> his, his value must have gone down Jamie's seriously. This... with Google or something. No, uh, his, his value must have gone down a lot recently. All though. right, Jamie, you do this. I'm just going to go on a quick beer and I'll be back in a minute. <laughs> Brazil. Who's the most expensive Brazilian? Gabriel Jesus, maybe? Over Bobby? I mean, I don't know. Jeez. Man, I thought this would be easy too. You guys are killing me here. Uh, well, it's easy because you got the answer sit in front of you. <laughs> oh, that's, that's beside the point. <laughs> it can't be Fabinho, can it? No. Man, you guys are looking I, right at the team, but yeah, there you go. Allison. Yes, AB1. Nice. Glad I didn't go on a beer run. So, I mean, <laughs> based on those, I don't think you guys are going to get this one at all, oh, but Spain. You. Uh, I mean, it's clearly the hair. <laughs> oh, most it probably would be three or four years ago. This That's is based on like what valuation transfer market puts on him, by the way. Right. Which, so it's got to be like, it's going to be a younger player. Or player. I'm not like pulling it out of my butt. Um, out there. <laughs> it's not biased. <laughs> so it's not Tiago, is what you're saying. Um, I have a hard time with Spanish players in the Premier League because uh, I can only think of ones that are like 34. There's They're a bunch of them at City. Who did? Silva's left, hasn't he? Um, Christ, put me out of my misery too much. Rodri at 77 million. I would have never guessed this. That's why I figured you guys would not either. I Fucking inf- inflated Man City prices there. That's bullshit. 77 million. Exactly, yeah. Because <laughs> who is number two? Ferran Torres. Yep. Wow. That makes, that makes sense, but that's shocking still. Yeah. That is, right? Yeah, I, I thought it was kind of, you know, I mean, Manchester City City pricing, I think, is a big factor in it. But, yeah, I would have never guessed Rotary. The other ones, I was like, oh, it's probably easier to guess. But when I saw that, I was like, really? That's why I was like, I got to make this the trivia question because I don't wild. think anybody would. That's a good that. one, actually, yeah. Well, you had us both stumped. So we can thank City for this. So speaking <laughs> of City and transfer. I thought, honestly, I thought it was me. Yeah, it's kind of like. Like I say, dollar-wise, it has to be his original uh, fee that kind of like dictates it and stuff like that. But uh, So let's go back to, obviously, this international break uh, brought some side stories that goes with our boys as well. The biggest one probably being Trent uh, not being selected. I was personally happy uh, in – not because – 
not only because of selfish, well, I guess it is selfish reasons, uh, for, I think it's a good wake up call for him for number one, uh, keeps him healthy, number two. So those are the selfish parts, but I think in the long run, it might be something like that's better for him. I thought it was kind of obnoxious. I realize he's not in top form, but you would think these games are almost more about getting ready for the Euro at the same time, so he would be there. Uh, so, Jamie, let's start with you. What did you think that he was not selected for the English team? Well, it's, you know, it's been in the, the media that he's in a slump, right? Uh, <laughs> as the running story is going, Liverpool are in a slump too, that they would have you believe. Um, yeah, we're not, we haven't been soaring the, the heights that we have seen. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say personally that Trent's in a slump. We, the whole team aren't performing well. We're, we're down, man. We, we all know what, what's happened to this point. Um, I, don't, I don't think that he's in a bad place professionally. I think he's you know, still growing as a, as a great young professional. And let's be honest, Eng- England are kind of blessed with a lot of right backs. So it's obviously a great thing for us. Um, we can give him the rest that he, he absolutely needs. And, you know, what whatever happens to England, good luck to them. As one of my favorite comedians always says, you know, I love England. I lived there for 10 years. That doesn't mean I don't like to see them defeat it. Things like sport and war. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, all joking aside, um, he will be got it because that's the type of person he is. But um, it'll be good for him to to sit at home and, and train with the the rest of the lads that are left at home. How about you, Paul? Like, I mean, like I say, I think out of the selection, that was probably like the shocking news and probably the one that affects us uh, directly the most. What did you think of him not being selected? Uh, yeah, I didn't, I mean, I guess kind of conflicted. I didn't have the outrage that a lot of people had because I'm not that invested in the English national team. Um, I felt for him because I know it matters to the players. So my immediate worry was more about like, how does this affect his confidence going forward? Does it motivate him or is it something that negatively impacts him? Right. Cause I mean, that can go both ways. It really can, no matter how mentally strong you are as a player, it can affect you negatively. And that's not a knock on him. It just, it's just the reality of the situation. Um, I agree with Jamie. England's incredibly deep at right back. Um, don't agree with the selection in general. Um, I don't, I, no matter how deep we are, I think he deserves a spot. I mean, you got Walker, Trippier. I mean, you've got a number of players in there, but like when Gareth Southgate's talking about like Luke Ailing and, and Matty Cash, get the fuck out of here with that. I mean, you can't say that Trent Arnold is having a down year. <laughs> But then in the next breath, say these players are having uh, a great year, so they should be considered. The difference between those players is that Trent's on a team that's struggling and in poor form right now. That's that's a starting 11 that's struggling. And those teams, Ailey and Matty Cash, are on teams that are in good form. That's a starting 11 that's in good form. So, like, you're talking you're – now, you're now implicating team form into personal performance. And that's where I have a problem with it. I also have a problem because Gareth Southgate's been kind of a – he's been super obnoxious like the last three or four months. I don't know when he became so outspoken, or maybe I'm just seeing more coverage on it. But um, he's, like, he's being a dickhead in, like, in, like a lot of ways. Like, it's yeah. just, I, I feel like he's being really outspoken on situations where he should just keep his mouth shut in general. 
Um, and I don't understand. I don't know if that's like his thing or if that's just a recent occurrence or I'm getting more coverage, but like, um, I think that was part of it. I was just slightly annoyed just because I've heard a lot of things, not even Liverpool related that he's like commented on that. I've been like, dude, what, what are you doing? Um, so yeah, like, I guess I'm kind of lukewarm on it. Right. I just don't want it to affect him negatively going forward. Paul, I think you're absolutely fucking spot on in your assumptions there. You're, you're really nail on the head because even even Ian, right? I'm jotting this down, date, time, and everything. <laughs> I have to go back to it. No, you're spot on, mate. Like, because even Ian Wright has said the same sort of thing. Um, you know, Ian Wright, famous striker for Arsenal, uh, played for England, blah blah blah. But he he said the same thing. You know, when when Southgate is saying something like, uh, "We're not picking Trent on form, but we're going to pick players like Reese James and other players like you've said," like it just doesn't look good. And, and you're absolutely right about Southgate. I, I'm going to go ahead with you on that one because I don't necessarily think it has been his MO to be an outspoken dick. But um, maybe, I don't know, the, 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 the job's wearing thin on him and he, he's becoming more and more outspoken because he never was that type of player or manager. So who knows what's getting to him. I mean, obviously, we're a bit more biased because we want Trent to be selected. So, I mean, we could be slightly biased, but like Paul says, I mean, it's when, we, for example, when we got Kabak, and you know, people were like, "Oh, he's you know, he's coming from like relegating." When we signed Robertson and stuff, I mean, a player can only do so much. You can't judge one player based on how the team is doing. And obviously, if the people around you are doing well, it's going to help you do well. I mean, if you know if the Trent's balls that are going in. Yes, his delivery has not been as good, but there have been a lot of times where, you know, our finishing is not as clinical. So you can only get an assist if the other guy scores. Otherwise, yeah. it's just chances created or whatever. So, yeah, I thought it was kind of like a little harsh and I thought it was more short-sighted. And I understand, like you say, our bias, I think, comes in there where I'm trying to think of it like it was a Turkish national team or whatever. You would think, yeah, you want the guy in form brought there, but... If it was just World Cup qualifiers, I could have gone with that. I feel like this is also setting the table for the Euros coming up, and you would think you would think a bit more long term when you're doing that and try to like you just can't. You simply cannot bring Trent up in one conversation, and Matty Cash and Luke Ayling in another. They're not like no disrespect to those players, but they're not even in the same league, even in an out of form Trent. Like they're just not. And here's another thing: like you're gonna have these players play in the big stage and who has experience in that stage. You have a champions right. league winner there. You have a title winner there. I mean, if you're looking for, I mean, those are some intangibles you want in, a, you know, in a tournament like that where they're playing away and everything like that. But yeah, I thought that was kind of like interesting. Uh, one of the probably like the interesting stories that came out of the international break, along with approximately like 1500 uh, transfer rumors. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, today's is probably, sounds like the most realistic or has the most validity, I guess we can say, is the Konata, which, you know, Paul, I'll let you handle that because you've been rooting for this guy to be signed for a while now. So we'll give you the props, and that'll be twice in one podcast. So don't Yeah, well, this was going to be the spot where I opened a beer, but I already did it, and I'm out of beer now, so... Um, <laughs> well, but yeah, yeah, I'm super... by the 30th minute, so... Right, I'm, I'm not, I love this guy. Um, I've liked him for a long time. So we have been 
um, scouting him and Upa Meccano, uh together for a very long time, uh, both you know French internationals. Uh, we've been looking at these guys for a while. Um, to me, Kinate is the the under the radar one. Um, he hasn't gotten as much publicity. He is the bigger, more physical version, um, and I think he's just as fast. Um, so I love the signing. And, and 34 million pounds, like get out of here, like that, like in today's transfer market for a young center back, and he's widely regarded as one of the elite up and coming center backs. Like it's a no brainer. People are going to bring up the injury history. If you look at it, he has one major, major muscle fiber injury um, that kind of trickled down into a couple of minor injuries as a result trickling on. He's had an ankle injury this, this year, but I mean, that, I mean, people are blowing that out of proportion. It's just kind of like, I think it's recency bias. We're so like sensitive to injury stuff that we're like blowing that way out of proportion. Um, he's 21 years old. He's had one major injury. People forget that Joe Gomez is 23. He's had four major injuries at this point he's joe gomez has missed i mean he's got a couple more years under his belt but he's missed 373 more days to injury than Kanate. and like you you can't tell me that that's not the reason like if we weren't concerned about tiago's injury like history we're not going to be concerned about this dude's like it was just not and to me like 30 like i think it was like 34 million pounds actually when when you transfer it from euros to pounds like that's a no-brainer to me so Jamie, what does that mean? I mean, let's take this rumor. I mean, there were so many other ones, but I mean, to me, they were just like, whatever. I mean, it's so easy to create. And it's funny how all these rumors happen during international break when there's nothing else going on. Right. Um, they have nothing to write about. Suddenly, all these rumors just started coming out. But um, it, let's say the rumor is true and we are looking at signing a player like that. Uh, what does that mean for... Uh, your boy Phillips uh, for a Kabak and the dude we've never seen. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did play that behind the doors game um, at, in the international break, which I'll I believe it when I see it, man. They I, said that. But... I, I've seen it. I've, I've seen him running around in a Liverpool kit. It, he, he does exist. Um, but I, I do have to give a shout out to all those mad men on Facebook and Twitter uh, who thought that we were signing a right back because he's coming from Canute uh, <laughs> RB. And I just seen the comments. It was like, right, well, RIP Trent. I was like, hold on, what the fuck has happened here? And then I was like, oh, shit, this idiot thinks he's a right back. So Canute is not a right back. He plays for RB Leipzig, and he's a center back, like Paul said. Um, but, I mean, what does it mean for our center backs? I think... I think it's all up in the air right now. Um, a lot of people seem to be still on the fence of whether or not we should sign Quebec or not. Uh, they also seem to be on the fence of Liverpool are going to spend upwards of 50 million on two centre-backs in one transfer season. And I can see all those. I can, I can justify those problems. But look, right now, the fact is we have the option of signing two world-class centre-backs sub 23 years of age for what the price of a Virgil van Dyke under 50. It's incredible. Yeah, not even. Yeah. So, so in five years, sorry, Virgil VVD turned 30 this year. So in eight years time, come back to me. And if Quebec and fucking Canute haven't reached the, the, 
dizzying heights of a of a Virgil van Dijk, then you know by all means tell me I'm wrong. But I, I think that's that's a bargain. Um, I would like to see another position filled. Um, you know, I, I don't think if if we're going to be spending fifty million on two centre backs, then you know surely we've got enough uh, magic left in the Edwards tank to to splash out on on a unheard of striker or 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 who knows, you know, a midfielder or whatever. But um, for the current centre backs, I I think it kind of spells a bit of danger. Um, Matip will be looking over his shoulder. Yeah, I almost think, and I want to kind of like get your guys' take on this. I mean, I don't know if it's what I think will happen. I think it's more of what I think should happen is probably, I mean, especially if we're, you know, I really think we should sign Kabak. I mean, having watched them recently over here and, uh, like, you know, play for us and then on the national team against Netherlands and stuff like that, dude is pretty solid and he's great on the ball. I mean, he, he fits us, I think, is the biggest thing out of all these, like, names mentioned. And I really feel like our four going into next season will be Van Dyke, Gomez, Kabak, and Konate, you know, assuming we're signing them. Uh, and then we would, you know, get what we can. Uh, you know, Phillips is increasing his price by the day. Uh, I would think, you know, we would pull a, you know, call Bournemouth again or somebody and say, hey, how about this guy for like 25, 30 million or whatever? But uh, probably same with Matip and Davis, just because he's have worn the jersey behind closed doors, will probably be sold for like three times the value or maybe like <laughs> loan that or something like that. But so Paul, where do you stand on that? I mean, if you, you're picking four uh, for next season, which four are you going with? I mean, there's the four that I would want. And then there's the four that I think are going to be there. Right. I mean, I think Jamie's right. I mean, you got to look at Matip. Um, I think Matip is the sensible fourth choice option for me or, uh, you know, it's just going to come down to whether he's comfortable being there or whether he wants to move for more minutes. Joel, Joel strikes me as the type of player that will be okay, you know, with that role. Um, now I could be completely wrong, but I, I, what I think is going to happen is I think that, I think that Matt's going to get moved. Um, they've been looking to move him for some time. We've talked about how he's probably a tactical fit in a better, in a, in a different system. Um, I think, um, I think we'll get probably somewhere upwards between 15 and 20 million for that um, comfortably. Um, I think that Davies is a player that reminds me a little bit. This is, this is some Liverpool triv- trivia for you. We should have done this in the trivia section because I would have a better shot. Um, uh, <laughs> do you guys remember the player that we bought? Do uh, you guys remember that guy? He's a winger. We bought him in the Rodgers era. For What's like his name? 2.4 million, and we turned around to like Osama Asidi. Oh, yeah, Asidi, yeah. A-I-D-I. He was a winner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Moroccan, I think he was, situation. wasn't he? We bought – yeah. This reminds me of the Davies situation. We brought we bought him in for depth, never cracked it, but was here with us for like – I mean, I think it was like 12 to 18 months. And we turned around and we sold him for double. That reminds me a little bit of the Davies situation. And I think what will happen with Davies, I think we'll bring him in and we'll turn around and flip him for money, essentially. Um, and then you've got Nat going out, and that funds at least half, if not all, of Kavik. Um, that's what I think will happen. 
And then you've got Reese Williams and you've got Billy in the background as Academy kids that are going to be upcoming as that sort of third level depth. Um, that's just my guess. Yeah. And I mean, you're, you're probably not wrong. Like Davis was rumored to be going to Celtic for 10 million only in the summer. So, and I kind of, I kind of would want to keep Nat just to see how he progresses. And I kind of, I'd like to keep as many centre backs as we can because of the injuries we faced with uh, Virgil um, and Joe as well. Because they're not going to come back and seamlessly go straight in. Maybe Virgil will, but I don't see Joe Gomez doing that. So I wouldn't like to see a repeat of what happened this year. So. Maybe maybe keep Nat Phillips and 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 see see what happens um, with our two new signings because Quebec will have faced twelve months in the Premier League. He he's already you know gelling better. Blah blah blah. Kunude, if he does sign, could face some teething problems learning the language, learning the teammate style. So you know, I I definitely see Nat Phillips getting more game time at Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, that could be a scenario as well. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how we react to what happened this year. Do we do the complete opposite, almost go with five and then, you know, loan out or sell one of them in January or something like that once we know we're in the clear and everybody's back healthy? It's definitely going to be, I mean, just judging by one week of rumors, my brain was about to explode. So I can't wait for summer. should be exciting, uh, especially with the Euro. I mean, everybody that does well. I mean, I watched the Turkish national team play Norway. And then literally five minutes later, there was a post about, you know, signing Ozan two finals, you know, scored two goals in that game. And I was like, I mean, that's, I kind of expect a lot of that as people watch the Euros one good game and they were like, we should get that guy. We should get this guy and stuff like that. So, so it will get ugly, but so let's go with what we have right now, which is hopefully Kabak. Um, I'm hoping he can come back uh, healthy because there was some positive COVID tests coming out of the Turkish camp. Uh, some players were sent home and stuff like that. So hopefully they got rid of the ones that were positive and the other ones are right fine and we're going to have them. So we can have them play this weekend. So let's start this weekend, guys. Jamie, let's start with you. Um, what is your gut feeling? Uh, Paul mentioned this earlier. We always kind of come back not looking so hot. Even when we're in form, we've never looked good coming back from these international breaks in most cases. Uh, what's your gut feeling on what we're going to see coming up? Well, I, I watched a few of the, the well clips and, and photographs of training today. Um, Bobby's back in training, like I said, in the, the news in 60 at the start. So Bobby always likes a goal against Arsenal, doesn't he? Likes to play well against Arsenal. So I think it's the, it, was, it was a good time for the international break. I think it's a great time for us to come back and kind of kickstart our season again because we've, we're facing a couple of big big ties at big venues in the next week. So I think we, we just kick on from now. Like the, like this is the start of our season. It's, it's kind of like that old cliche. Every game's a cup final. So we've, we've got to win every single game. And if we do that, the, that's it. The, the season's ours. You know, we, we've, we've went from, from the shit basically. So I think, I think we come out strong against Arsenal. Um, and hopefully they have a bad day. 
But it does feel like that a little bit, right? Yeah, like you're saying, it's kind of like cliche, but it almost feels like we can't afford to lose any more points if we have a shot at uh, getting top four, right, Paul? I mean, it's almost like winner go home kind of a game every game, almost. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think we can. I don't think we can draw anybody at this point. I mean, I think the we talked about how unstable the top has been for so long, but I just think at this point, our position at the table, we can't drop any more points. So well, that, that, that's fine, right? We 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 enjoy that kind of pressure. Liverpool do enjoy that kind of pressure. Like so, I I don't see a problem with it <laughs> as long as we fucking stick to getting three points every game, right? I think so. I mean, you see some of these guys do well, like Trata, and you know Mo did good today. I think he scored like two goals in today's game and stuff. Obviously, it's totally different competition and stuff. But I feel like half of our problems, especially going forward, is mental. So even if it's a lame goal against, you know, you know, weaker opposition, it always helps your confidence. It's almost like, you know, muscle memory yeah. with that kind of stuff. And, you know, not thinking before you just like acting, you know, just going with your instincts and stuff like that. So I would hope that that would help him. Obviously, Jota held those two goals. I don't know if Mo is done. I know Portugal play again, I think tomorrow. And then those guys will be like headed back and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, hopefully we don't get any injuries out of this next batch and then we can go in like a bit healthier, um, you know, Fabinho where he should be and stuff like that. Cause that's really made the difference. And I mean, Arsenal, obviously they have a lot of players playing in the national games as well, coming back, but so score predictions, lineup predictions, I guess would be tricky too. If you guys want to take a jab at it before you give me the score. Uh, but I feel like it's only the midfield at this point that you're going to be, uh, picking the trio there, or do you start Jota with his form and have Bobby kind of rest under the cover of he's not fully ready yet? That's a great question, right there. That's a tough one. Um, I guess you'd have to go with a man in form, wouldn't you? Fuck you, Southgate. Um, <laughs> but uh, Southgate, <laughs> we'll call that pulling a Southgate from now. On. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I guess. Bobby is just coming back from fitness, so maybe he comes on around the 65th. Um, but you'd be foolish not to want uh, to start Jota, really, wouldn't you? We got Who, ball. in that midfield. And- I, think, I think that's fair. I like that shout. I like Bobby in the spot coming in late in the game. Um, like, I think by now, hopefully, we've settled the issue with Fab. Like, hopefully, he's in the midfield. Um, from an Arsenal perspective, I mean, we can pray that Aubameyang gets suspended again and that Jacques is in midfield um, because he'll be red carded by the 34th. Um, <laughs> Arsenal is a scary – Arsenal scares me. They're not very good defensively, um, but they've got – they're similar to Chelsea where they've got some very young kids that are doing extremely well for them. And I think that they are starting to figure out um, – you know. I, I think that they're starting to figure out how to play those players. Um, Rose Smith has been on fire. Um, Sokka is another kid that's extremely talented down the right. Mm-hmm. Um, he plays like, he plays anywhere from right back all the way to right wing. Um, and he's extremely talented um, it, it, with loads of pace. Um, they have some very, very good young talent, uh, English talent on that team. Um, so they can be scary offensively. Um, and that's not, you know, obviously Lacazette can do some damage. Um, so be interesting to see. I think for me, I think it's going to be 2-1 um, us. 
I'm going to be optimistic and say we squeeze it out, but like I would not be surprised if Arsenal puts three or four in on them. We lose. They've got that kind of firepower. Um, to me, I think it's going to be two one with a lot of uh, missed chances. Hmm, I like that shot. I am expecting a higher scoring game, but what do you have, Jamie? Selfishly, I'd love a clean sheet, so I, I'll I'll go for the two nil. Um, I'd love a clean sheet in this game because that would just really be the icing on our cake for for going to Madrid. Um, it, it's tough because Arsenal are one of those teams where they can turn it on or they can show up poor. Uh, we, in general, we do like playing down south. Um, so. Yeah, our home season has been awful. So let's, I'll go for a 2 0 away win. I was going to go with like a 3 1 or 3 2 squeaking in kind of win. Uh, I, uh, like Paul says, I just don't know if we can keep a clean sheet. They just have like so much firepower, but then maybe we can use that against them and kind of like more sit back and like hit them on the counter as well. You would think Arteta will be smarter than that, but. You never know. I think that that's why it was shocking with Champions League where, you know, we played against opposition that was, like, coming at us, which mm-hmm. was kind of, like, shocking, which was, I mean, it's like, don't they have scouting teams? Uh, I don't think anybody would be, you know, doing the same mistake in the Premier League and, like, leaving the back open for, like, you know, uh, Mane and Mo to, like, to feast on, especially with Jada back there, too. So, I mean, he can make those runs as well, and he's a lot more effective. I feel like he makes more runs forward, uh as opposed to Bobby, who kind of more like comes closer to the midfield to open that space. You know, the way they create space for the wingers like Barry. So any other points and nuggets, gentlemen, before we hope for a win? And then we can talk about Champions League playing freaking Madrid next week. Yeah, I mean, uh, just a, a, a touch on Arteta. Like, he, he is a man under pressure right now. I mean, we're Arsenal are just in the top half they're ninth or something but they are, they have moved up so i mean yeah I, I'm, I'm just hoping for a, a lackluster arsenal performance at home um and and we get this ball rolling again you know because that we're like we said we, we really do need to keep the hammer down and just just keep pounding teams right now pick up that little bit of momentum that we need and just hold on to it for dear life Paul, any parting thoughts? Is the game on Peacock? What's going on? Uh, I haven't checked to see if it's on Peacock. I'm just going to wait till people bitch. That's how I know if it's on Peacock. Um, <laughs> just going to, uh, you know, do some work, hang out with kids on spring break, drink a bunch of beer, and try to forget that uh, <clears throat> we're not in top four until we are in top four. That's my plan. No, it's uh, it's on NBC. It's on NBC. It is on ah. Damn, we're going to miss that opportunity. I did see, yeah, the spring break is in effect. I saw Paul uh, throwing his kids down the roof into a pool or something like that. Some dangerous play there, but... <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully you're teaching them how to dive properly, like uh, like Harry Kane. Oh, there's three of them. I go down to two. That's fine. <laughs> that's great parenting. The next week's segments will be parenting tips by Paul Baker. <laughs> that is how you save $5 a month so you can afford Peacock. <laughs> Well, gentlemen, thanks a lot for joining me this week. And thanks to all for listening. And we'll be back same time next week talking about hopefully an our victory against Arsenal. And we'll get ready for Champions League. As always, turn on, tune in, and cop out with the American Scouser podcast. See you guys soon. <laughs>